Hey there, it's Jason Whiteley here with you. This episode you're about to hear is really unlike any other one we've done on Yolitics. It's an elected official, brutally honest, revealing so much of her personal journey. Uh, a lot of it you're going to hear that doctors told her not to even discuss if she didn't want to. But before you hear from Judge Lena Hidalgo from Harris County and the mental health treatment she sought this summer, we want to share three very important numbers with you. If you or someone you know is in crisis or struggling with something in life, you can call or text 988. That's the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. It's a simple, it's a brand new number, 988. You can call or text to get help anytime. y'all this is where texas politics gets interesting here again are two guys named jason some great guests and cold texas beer for another smart conversation on yolitics the unofficial political podcast of texas hey there welcome back to yolitics uh jason and jason with you we have a guest on the episode here we haven't had on in, in quite a while it's the Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo. Uh, Judge Hidalgo, welcome back, first of all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So you you have a lot going on down there. I I, I do want to get to the, the, the biggest news, and, and that is you just getting back from uh, mental health treatment. And you've been outspoken about this. And I think that's important because, uh, as I mentioned just before we started recording here, I think there are a lot of folks out there who probably – struggle with this, whether it's a loved one, whether it's themselves wondering, am I just stressed out? Is something more? I'm just curious how you got to that point where you said, okay, listen, this is more than I can handle on my own. I need to find somebody to help me out with this. Um, A lot of it was just the, the suicidality. You know, I had felt suicidal for a long time Um, at this point, eight years. But especially this year, that first half of this year, it, it got to a point where it was just so scary. You know, I just felt like if I didn't do something, I was afraid I was going to jump off the balcony. And I'd already been to a psychiatrist. I'd seen a therapist for the better part of five years. Um, the psychiatrist I started seeing last summer. So, you know, about a year before I went to seek treatment and, um, according to my friends, my boyfriend, my family, I was in treatment. So, uh, you know, everything should have been okay, but I knew there was something really wrong. And, and I did reach out to the providers. I said, you know, I, I need some additional help, like something's got to give here. And I got very lucky that um, I, I mean, lucky in a way I went on a bike ride, I got dehydrated, I went to see my primary care physician for that. And he asked me, how are you? And I just immediately started crying. And he figured out what was going on. And he put me in touch with a different psychiatrist, um, who's, you know, two days later, had me on a plane to Cincinnati for an inpatient treatment center. Uh, this takes a ton of courage, uh, first of all, to to say that to your doctor and to say that, yes, I want help. That takes a lot of courage. It takes even more courage in a public job like you have to tell everyone, hey, I'm doing this. I'm taking this time off uh, because I have to take care of me. And then now the courage to talk publicly about it. A lot of people, you know, might have kept them this to themselves 
why have you made the decision that, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do these interviews, uh, I'm going to you know, rehash this stuff that was hard for me, that was painful for me. What made you decide to do that? I mean, look, the advice on my of my doctors on that was don't say anything. They said there's HIPAA, just say you were out, you had a medical issue in your back. And, you know, it's two things. First, I I don't enjoy sort of stonewalling, like that's just not my style. So it's like I really want to say what it is. Um, but also I felt that I I needed to pay it forward because one of the reasons why I was able to call out for help and to know that, wait a minute, there's gotta be something more I can do here when I was feeling at my lowest was having read about Senator John Fetterman's experience. And so, you know, I heard that he had gone on leave for depression back in, I think it was February or March. And that was sort of in the back of my head somewhere. Of course, I continued to suffer through the first half of this year. But then once July came around and I was really doing, you know, worse than ever before, I said, wait a minute, he was able to seek inpatient treatment. And so, you know, I don't want other people in the community to have to go through eight years like I did of living in in a way that is suboptimal to put it kindly you know that you're constantly fighting a fight against yourself thinking that you can win it when in truth it's an illness it would be like deciding you're going to will yourself to get better from diabetes and so I really want to, to to be that little seed of information for other people like Senator Fetterman was for me. And you've, of course, had your critics, people who say that I think someone even filed a lawsuit. There are five people who filed a lawsuit saying, oh, well, you, you abandoned your job. But but you pointed out, I think rightly so, that, listen, this is just like anyone recovering from a heart attack or a broken leg or anything else. And, and it needs to be treated like that. Yeah, and that's the case. And look, I it's. It wasn't easy and it's still not a piece of cake, right, to talk about this because there's so much shame. And even now I have friends and family that they're telling me, man, I'm depressed, but they're they're scared to take the medicine, you know, they're scared to seek treatment and there's just been such stigma on mental illness for so long and i understand where these folks are coming from that are saying well you know she's weak or if she had to take leave she shouldn't come back to work it, they come from a place of stigma and so in pushing back what i'm saying is you know we really have to destigmatize this because for all we know they their families their friends or neighbors also are facing mental illness. There are statistics from the Department of Health and Human Services, 50% of Americans are diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in their lives. And that's just the ones that are diagnosed. I mean, imagine all the people right. that never go and get themselves diagnosed. You know, what interests me, uh, Judge Hidalgo, is that, you know, following something like, let's say, a school shooting, uh, we will hear bipartisan support for more mental health care, more mental health care funding. Uh, but then, you know, as you talk about, the stigma is still there. It doesn't matter how much funding you set aside if it's still stigmatized in society to go seek help. And you went and you sought help and you did hear about it politically, including from a former challenger. Talk about what that does when you have people who come out publicly and say, well, then you shouldn't keep your job uh, if you are seeking treatment for mental health. Yeah, well, I was still... Um on leave, my former opponent, the the woman I defeated this past November, said that I neither need, needed to either return or resign. And, you know, at the time I had done 
shame class at uh, the mental health treatment center where I was. And so that kind of just slid right off. But um, it made me feel bad for her followers who might hear that and who might identify that they themselves have a mental illness, but who may feel that much more ashamed because of that signal that if you have a mental illness, you ought to give up your job. And look, I even, before I had my depression diagnosis, when I didn't know which way to turn, I thought for a time, well, maybe I just need some leave. I mean, I don't know what treatment I need, but I need to play you know, put push pause on my job, my life, because I'm going to break. And, um, but then I thought, well, I, I can't, I can't take a leave, uh, because then I'll lose my job. You know, it never, it didn't even occur to me at the time that mental health leave is the same as the medical leave that employees of Harris County take routinely. We have 12 weeks paid parental leave, for example, family leave, sick leave. It's the same thing. Um, and then there's the other piece of understanding what is mental illness and how do you treat it? And that also comes with the stigma. So sure, we can say, let's give more funding for mental illness, mental treatment. But what does it mean? What does it mean that I, you know, who I'm edu well educated by any stretch of the imagination, leading the county, have made investments in mental health care? It's something we've prioritized. I didn't know enough about what depression was to recognize it in myself. But and this so is a big job that you hold, too, though. Did, did did you worry that things would fall through the cracks with you being gone for an extended period? Um, I mean, of course you worry about that, right? And and, and we have that issue as Americans. It's like um, that we have trouble taking sick leave. And we feel this was called the sick day guilt. And sometimes even if we have, you know, a, a, a physical illness, we will say we got to go to work, we got to plow through because we feel we're indispensable. And so, uh, yes, of course, it was really hard for me to separate myself. And uh, I knew that at any moment, I'd have to come back if there was an emergency, I was readily available to my staff. Um, at no point was I incapacitated in any way, you know, I was ready to come and respond, but it would have it wouldn't have been the best version of me, and it, and it wasn't that uh, for a long time. And suddenly I am, and I just feel you know this freedom and uh, like a burden lifted on, off my shoulders because everything I'm doing, you know, giving this interview, um, going to I was going to mention the Astros game, but gosh, I better not talk oh, about gosh. that. Oh gosh, yeah, that's um, a tough one. Whatever, whatever it is that I'm doing that I've done before, you know, it's 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 going through a different light. But but what I wanted to share is, is, look, we have to be able to explain to people what's depression, what's anxiety, uh, what is bipolar, what's addiction, what are eating disorders, what is all of that? So that, you know, for me, when my doctor told me, no, you don't have depression, you have anxiety. If it had been a physical health sort of issue that I'm saying, you know, my, my finger's broken, say, no, it's not broken. Your finger's fine. Okay, well, I'll go to a different doctor and get a second right. opinion. I never thought to do that because I didn't, I didn't feel that same sense of self-advocacy that you feel with other types of doctors. So I want people to know that. And then there's this, the the point of what kind of treatment. You know, when I I was advised by the psychiatrist to go to an inpatient mental treatment center, 
I was imagining, uh, you know, white walls, white sheets, strap you to the bed type thing. You know, I was terrified. Um, and I show up only to see it's a beautiful restorative place. And there's a, there were 16 people there and we learned a lot together. We learned from each other. We learned from the staff. I mean, it was really nice. And we have places like that in, 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 in our area, in our state. Um, and there's some are private and some are public. And of course they aren't, there isn't the availability or the accessibility that there needs to be. But to your point, it's not like everybody who needs this treatment is asking for it. Quite the opposite. You know, we don't have these huge wait lists because people who need it don't know right. that this kind of treatment exists. Judge, you were on leave from the end of July, I believe, to the beginning of October. What have you learned about yourself or what have you understood about yourself that you did not know through that treatment? So first of all, the diagnosis. So it turned out I was very, very severely depressed. Um, I, I did not know that. I had an inkling, you know, um, because I, I was just crying all the time, feeling really down. But I've also always been an energetic person. And so um, that was kind of what's confusing. And so I learned you can be both. And I learned that I've had anxiety pretty much. You know, they say, well, when did you start feeling this way? Well, gosh, my whole life, you know, I remember getting first place in first grade. I've always pushed myself so hard. And so that was actually the key lesson is that um, at some point it becomes unsustainable to strive if you're so hard on yourself. And so a lot of the therapy that I did was about saying, yes, you know, I care so much about my job. I care so much about my community and I'm going to fight, you know, with everything I've got to achieve what I believe are the best results for the community. But if I don't succeed in something specific, um, if somebody makes a mistake, you know, I need to not be so hard on myself about it because that's what I was doing. And that was really bringing me down and not just in the context of this job, but my whole life, you know, like I always had to do, have to do everything perfectly. And if I don't, you know, I'm just berating myself over it. Mm. So that's why, you know, they say it's the medication and the, and the treatment. Well, let me ask you about that. You, you had a stratospheric rise in politics. You were elected in, in was it 2016, 2017, I believe? 2018 was 2018. the election. Yeah. You, you, you defeated uh, uh, Ed Emmett, who'd been there for, I think, for 12 years. You were 27 years old. Do you, do you, do you ever have regrets based on what you just said about joining politics? Uh, are, do, you, do you regret running for office that early? No, no, not at all. I mean, my regret is not having sought treatment earlier. And, you know, they do say, and I knew that mental illness often surfaces in, in, in people's 20s. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I was maybe 24, 25 when this came up. And, but I just had no idea. And I, I, I just was so uninformed. And so I'm glad that now I can approach this job that is a real blessing. You know, I, I enjoy it and I, I think I'm good at it. And I, I, I work so hard at it. I love my team, but for the past, you know, almost five years that I've had this privilege, there was like a cloud over it, you know? And so like there was a documentary made recently that followed um, some leaders in Texas, as well as, um, 
now Congressman Greg Kassar, Beto O'Rourke, and myself. And so I'm watching this documentary and I'm watching, I'm remembering what I felt like in certain moments. And some of them were like, when we won re-election the day after the re-election, and it was like, I wasn't happy, you know? And so that's, that's really my regret. But I also feel so lucky that I was, I, that I was able to have the treatment and it just, you know, I, I'm really having to use my new skills and not letting it eat me up that I, I know people, I know there are people in the community that, you know, need to seek the same kind of treatment, mm -hmm. but they're holding themselves back because of the stigma, because they feel, well, you know, I wasn't right about to jump off the balcony, so I don't need to go somewhere and stay there. Or, um, you know, they just are afraid to take psychiatric medication because of the biases and stigma that exists around that. Or perhaps they have a psychologist or psychiatrist that is improperly diagnosing them and um, they're not seeking a second opinion, you know, so, so that's, that's, that's really my call to action. And, and what I came back to my staff with is to say, sure, we have invested tens of millions of dollars in training more professionals in mental health, supporting victims of domestic violence, kids, you know, helping them with vaping addiction, you name it, uh, whatever it is, we've done it, but there's so much more investment that's needed. And there's so much more education that's needed. And so that challenge to them to see what can we do? And how can we leverage my position and also um, our networks with other levels of government to really try to move this forward in a more yeah. informed way. I was going to ask you that because you, you went to a, a private treatment facility, uh, as I understand it, uh, your your longtime boyfriend was able to, you know, liquidate some things and and pay out of pocket for this. It's an extraordinary cost. It was some, I, I think it's something like $88,000. How much were you thinking during all of this about the people who can't afford to do that and and who need help. Yeah, I felt really guilty. You know, I felt really guilty, mm. especially when the insurance said they wouldn't cover it. Um, I came back to my friends, you know, the other folks that were there and I said, you know, what's wrong with me? Like, am I making this up that they won't cover it? And they said, well, no, they're not covering mine either. You know, even if like you say, well, the insurance covers it, well, it doesn't cover it for, I think there was one woman, the insurance covered um, 40% of it or something, but the rest of it, the rest of us, we, we couldn't get it covered. And clearly, you know, we were in distress and, um, and the, the doctors very clearly had diagnosed us. And so I felt um, I felt bad about myself and I also felt really guilty for all the other people in the community that, you know, don't have a doctor that can send them to Cincinnati or a boyfriend that will pay the bulk of it. Um, when that happened, when the insurance came back, said they wouldn't pay for it. I said, OK, well, this is this is awful. You know, this sucks. I, I'm going to have to go home. I don't know how I'm going to survive because I was still very suicidal at that point. You know, I was maybe like eight or nine days in and I'd been diagnosed by then and I just felt like there was no way out you know I I felt like I was going to be I was going to have to be at that facility forever because I just felt so low um and then uh my long-term boyfriend said he was going to be able to pay for it and um that came as a surprise to me and uh, that's why I was able to do it. And so I've been very forthright about the cost for that reason, because I, for one, don't have $88,000. My family doesn't, you know, it's just, um, I, I didn't expect my boyfriend to, but of course we're not married. I didn't know his finances. And so we, we, um, 
I did ask, I've asked my staff and we've done some research on this. And so there are facilities around the state and there's one here in, in, in Houston, the Dunn Center, for example, and it offers um, a public version of this. And so, but they can only do have so many days. So I was there for seven weeks. Initially supposed to be five, they extended it. And then, um, so you, you would, you'd be able to do maybe two weeks and then they could transition you to what they call partial hospitalization programs. So it's like from nine to five or intensive outpatient, which is from like nine to 12 every day. Um, we also have the Harris Center and the, the mental health authorities around the state that will provide therapy or intensive uh, ste stabilization care. Um, but, you know, to be able to have that full continuum of care, we need a lot more coordination amongst these agencies. We do need a lot more funding. And then, you know, what point is the, the funding if people aren't going to use it? So these are all the angles we're coming at it from. Judge, can you tell us about some of the the, the therapies that, that you learned there that you brought back to Harris County that you you employ on an everyday basis? You mentioned one of them earlier about, you know, not, not, I don't want to say not taking things so seriously, but but not you know, hanging on every every little uh, thing that happens in the office. Yeah, so the core therapy that they taught there, and I was at the Lindner Center for Hope in Cincinnati, and, and I will say, you know, the reason I went there is my psychiatrist, actually a leader at the Dunn Center, I later found out. Um, so, you know, why why wouldn't he send me there? Well, he said, you have to go out of state because you won't be able to be a patient if your fellow patients will recognize you. And I will mm. say, having been through it, I would say most of it, maybe 60 or 70% of the benefit came from being with all these other people and being able to share experiences. And it was all kinds of people. There was retirees. Um, there was young young folks, 18, 19. There was a woman who had seven children. Of course, I have a cat. There was um, all kinds of addictions, all kinds of mental illnesses from eating disorders to OCD to anything you can wow. imagine. And so it was very helpful. And I learned a lot. Um, so the main Modal therapy modality was dialectic behavior therapy. And what that is, is it's evidence-based and it's um, the crux of it is that two things can be true at the same time. And so, you know, I can be really um, proud and happy to be able to share this with people. And I can also be worried that it's not going to reach enough people. You know, both things can be true and I don't have to be feel guilty about either one of them. And then I was... Uh, particularly focused on what they call radically open DBT, which is for people like me who are just very intense about, you know, we really want everything to be perfect. We judge ourselves very harshly. We judge others very harshly. And so that one focuses on really being able to express yourself and to others what you're feeling. And obviously, you know, you want to use careful language in that, but it's helped me a ton. And um, my staff is all uh, knows all about it by now because I, I'm, you know, I'm an A plus student, of course. So I practice everything they taught me. I'm still in therapy twice a week. I have a group therapy once a week that I do um, via the center on Zoom. And it's going to be a lifelong thing for me, like anything. You know, I have to keep keep these skills up. Um, and I'm on the medicine for anxiety and depression. We'll see how long I have to stay on it. Um, but I feel like a million bucks. I mean, I really do. I I have to say, I, did, I didn't expect it. Like they told me I would. And I did feel much better when I left. But I think in the back of my head, I was like, well, you know, really? And now it's been, you know, a month or month, 
probably uh, and change. And um, I just maybe I'll I, like I was at Stanford uh, for my 10 re- year reunion. I had a day was felt a little bittersweet because, you know, you're remembering mm-hmm. about college and it's a little bit right. like, mm. but, you know, so you'll have a day that's a little weird, but but, I, you know, I'm just doing fantastic. I've enjoyed commissioner's court and not that it all was honky dory. Mm-hmm. There's challenges, but it's it's like a puzzle. It's like a, a chess game. You know, it's interesting. It's not it's not tragic. It's not um, it's not it's not depression. It's it's life. Well, that's great to hear. And, and congratulations on that. And especially if you're able to enjoy commissioner's court, that's extraordinary. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's true. It is yeah. true. So I want to know, you know, what would you say to people who say, well, you know, maybe don't don't take on this busy job, maybe walk away from this really busy, stressful job that includes a lot of political attacks and fights all the time and so forth. What do you say to people who who suggest that sort of thing? Well, it's a mistake to take away that the job was the cause, because if you do that, then suddenly it doesn't apply to you or everybody else. And look, for me, for someone that has my issue, if I hadn't uh, taken this job, I would have decided to take some other, you know, job. I say if I decided to go plant trees, I would have put it on myself to plant a million. I mean, I've always I've always been this way my whole life for as long as I or my parents can remember. And so that's why it's about it's genetic. Right. Um, and then it's about your your ability to regulate your emotions. And that's why therapy helps. And so, um, you know, of course, having a stressful job doesn't help, but you don't have to have a stressful job in order to be depressed or to yeah, be as- anxious. As Whiteley said, though, you've been a rising star in the Democratic Party. Do you still maybe eye bigger jobs down the road? And feel free to make any announcements here uh, if so. <laughs> but 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 is that still on your radar? Yeah, I, I don't have any announcements to make. But I will say that, you know, as this all was coming to a head in July, I called some colleagues um, from around the country. I have some good friends and I, I confessed to them. I said, you know, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up because I just and if I decided to take a rest, I still would have been depressed. You know, you can't rest your way out of an illness. You can't pray your way out of an illness. You can't self-help book your way out of an illness. Uh, So I wouldn't have gotten better, uh, maybe just a little bit. And so what I see now after this treatment is all of a sudden my job is sustainable. And I did uh, in my job, not just this job, but a career in politics. And so if voters will have me and if I can continue to make a difference, it is something that not only do I want to do for the long term, but I believe I can do and I can enjoy. And that's something new. You know, I could I wouldn't have been able to say that truthfully six months ago. Judge, we just have a couple of minutes left here. I have a final question for you. You mentioned a moment ago about uh, seeing the documentary about a number of of, uh, Democrats across the state. And you said looking at that five years ago, you, you, you know, notice yourself and they're a different Lena Hidalgo back then. I'm curious now, after the treatment, how are you approaching your job differently? It's just that, you know. I care just as much. I work just as hard, but I'm able to look at things in the sense that we're all doing our best. 
and we could always do better. And same with my staff and everyone at the county uh, infrastructure, you know, um, it used to be things would eat me up. I say, you know, we're all doing our best. And uh, even my colleagues, like sometimes um, I have differences with some of them. And I really believe in the way that that I want to take the county because I believe in the research that my staff has done. I believe the place I'm coming from with it. And so, you know, when they get in the way, that would just really bother me whenever something's didn't pan out. Now I can say, you know what, uh, perhaps they're mistaken on this issue, but maybe they're great parents, you know, maybe they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're great bosses, whatever it is, or, or, Hey, maybe they're right. And I'm missing something. It's just, it's just looking at things in a way that is less taxing on oneself, on the body. Um, and so that's really what I was doing. I was, I was just running myself ragged, but whether it was this job or whether it was when I was in grad school or my previous job, I mean, I always did that. Yeah, that's a real perspective there. I have one more question for you, too. And my apologies, by the way, if it's really loud uh, where I am right now. We had a separate uh, podcast that we did before this one. I'm outside at uh, Choctaw Stadium in Arlington, Judge Hidalgo, which, of course, is right uh-huh. next to Globe Life Field, where the Texas Rangers are going to be playing in the World <laughs> Series. And I'm, I'm I'm sorry to 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 bring that up and rub that in. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, You've been very out front about this. You've talked to a lot of people about this. Uh, It was very public. And I'm curious, you've been back for several weeks now. Have you had people who have reached out to you who surprised you? Has there been anybody who who you thought, wow, I, I, I did not think I would get a nice message from them? Yes. Yes, I I have received a lot of nice messages. A lot of people that you would never imagine who've shared with me their mental health struggles and a lot of uh, leaders from both parties that have very kindly reached out. And that's what it's going to take. This affects absolutely everyone, no matter any. I mean, it's just just, it's part of the human condition. Um, I believe it comes with the incredible brains that we have is this this potential that we might have a mental illness. And it has been really heartening for the the hope for progress we can make on mental health treatment to see just how many folks uh, from both sides of the aisle have reached out to me. That's great to hear that that uh, humanity still exists, yeah. uh, you know, in a, in a bipartisan way, too. Uh, I, I do want to say before we end here, though, for anyone who is listening uh, you know, maybe you've gone through some of these things. Maybe you have struggles. Maybe this inspires you uh, to to possibly seek help. Maybe you're not there yet. Uh, there is a helpline. It's available 24 hours a day. They've simplified this helpline so that it's easy to remember. It's just 988. That's all you have to dial, 988. It's available 24-7. It's the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. There's someone to talk to. There's always someone who cares especially if you're in that darkest of holes and you don't think that there is. Uh, So I I guess that's the parting message that we want to give here, Judge Hidalgo. If you could speak to people out there who, you know, are going through something and they don't know what to do and they don't think there's a way out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's not just a suicide helpline. It's a crisis helpline, as you mentioned. Um, But look, if you feel something is wrong, you've got an inkling that you might have a mental illness, follow it and know that you're holding yourself back by not having it treated. And it, I can tell you with certainty, it just is so much better to be able to deal with it. And it, it gives you just a completely new, new take on life. So I really, I really wish that for people. Um, but thank you for listening. 
Judge, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're better as well. Thank you for the courage about speaking on this. I, I can't imagine what you've gone through in the past past several years when you've been dealing with this, but but at least talking about it is, is another struggle, I'm sure. But we appreciate that. And thanks for being on Yolitics again with us. I hope it's not a long time like it uh, has been since we had you on last time, but we always appreciate your time. Thank you. Huge congratulations. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.